Hi, Natalie. Hi, Raph. How's it going? Yeah, good. Feeling confident. Are you feeling confident? Yes. Yes, I am. Thank you. Mm. So um, let's talk about confidence. No, I think it's a really good idea. Um, you know, we work with people who are training to be Pilates instructors and confidence, I think, is one of those things that is trainable. And it's not always present when you're learning how to be a Pilates teacher. Some people are naturals at it. And you can tell right away, it's like it's like top 1% of students where it's just like, oh, man, I'd hire this person in a heartbeat if I could right now. And then for the rest of them, they're still learning. They're still figuring it, figuring it out. Yeah. So I think it's a really important piece of the, the puzzle. Yeah. So I think let's talk about like what it is, how to get it, how to, how to signal it, because I think people perceiving you as confident is an advantage in teaching and in life in general, I think. Uh, whether or not you feel it or not is a separate question. So, yeah, is there anything else that you think is important, like, you know, what it is, how to signal it, and how to get it? Oh, I think that's good. Yeah, that's a good list. All right. Well, how do you define it? Do you have a definition of confidence? I've never thought about a definition of confidence. It's one of those things where I feel like it's more of a perception that I've never articulated it. But lately, what I've been thinking about when it comes to confidence is the absence of fear of doing something bad. Huh. What a great definition. See, I would have I would have said a different definition, but now you've said that, I think that's I think that's really good. I would have said it's the relative estimation of your likelihood of success in doing any particular thing, right? So I can be confident at A, but not confident at B, for example. Like I might be confident that I can make myself exercise every day, but not confident that I can keep my room tidy, you know? Um, so it's, yeah, it's my estimation of my chances of success. And if, if I've exercised every day for the past 10 years and never missed a day, even when I was, you know, at death's door, well, then the fact that I've done it 10,000 times in a row gives me a high degree of certainty that I'm going to be able to continue to do it. But I like what you said, that it's the absence of fear of failure. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think I'll fail because I might be almost certain I'll fail, but I just don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I can uh, I can move and act like someone without a care in the world and I can you know, I guess you could say I could, I would, could confidently move, you know, into that uh, environment, into that task, into that situation. Hmm. So what, well, I think though, I mean, I think both of those definitions are, or both of those notions are important. Like I think, you know, when we say like, I know, I think I'm just thinking about it's like some master craftsman, right? Someone who's been making shoes for 45 years or something like that. You know, they'd have that you'd say that person's confident in their craft, right? And I'd say that, you know, most of us would think of that as meaning they have a high de- high estimation of their chance of success of doing it, you know. And they don't fear failure, but it's not because they're staring failure in the face and they don't fear it. It's because they just don't they laugh, they don't believe they will fail. Like it's like I've made 20,000 pairs of shoes. It's like I know what I'm doing here, you know. So, so, so I think they're kind of two different but interlocking definitions. I like them both. You know, how, how, do you think we can reconcile them? Do they go together? Are they? 
they apply in different situations? Yeah, I think they can coexist. And and the the reason why I think they can co- coexist is exactly based on the example that you gave, right? So let's pretend there's a human being out there who's made 20,000 pairs of shoes. And when you see him, maybe you ask him, you know, how do you make your shoes? Like there's a level of self-assurance and self-efficacy because he's made 20,000 pairs. Great. That's confidence. But there are also human beings out there who've probably never made any pair of shoes. And if you said, do you think you could make a pair of shoes? Oh yeah, totally. (laughs) We we meet people like that all the time. I'm thinking of the toddler who, you know, confidently, you know, picks up something that you know there's no way in hell they're going to be able to do this puzzle or open this packet or whatever it is that they're, you know, but they're confident as anything, you know, that they're certain of success. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I have, I, you know, I have two kids and they're really different. And one is an extrovert and the other is an introvert. And the interesting part about these kids is that the introvert is less fearful of failure. So he's willing to try new things and just go for it. Whereas the extrovert, he's the one that we're constantly having to push to try new things because he he's afraid of failure and he doesn't like being bad at things. So he only wants to do the things that he knows already that he's good at, which is why I like the definition of confidence as the lack of fear of failure, because oftentimes I think, especially in terms of like Pilates school, for instance, we have a lot of students who are afraid to go through the course because they're not good at it. And I'm like, yeah, you're not, (laughs) you're not good at it, but it's normal to be bad at something until you're good at something. And the only way you can be good at something is if you just try, you have to try and you've got to start somewhere. That's the key. That's the part I think that needs to happen. That's the same myth of I'll start Pilates after I get fitter. You know, yeah, yeah. I think there's. It just occurred to me as you were speaking that I think there's a third definition that I'd like to throw in the in the ring here, which is it's a behaviour. So you know, we said it. You know, confidence could be the absence of fear of failure. We said it could be a a high estimation of your probability of success based on past experience. I would also say there's something in there around it's behaving as if you have a high estimation of your chance of success, even if you're terrified of failure and have a low estimation of your chance of success. I'm laughing because you've just described the first five years of me being a Pilates teacher. (laughs) That's exactly right. I just faked it. I just slapped a smile on my face and faked it. What Kyle Marsh calls it the coat of confidence, which is exactly what it is. It's a coat. <laughs> well, I, I didn't say faking it. And I I know that what I described, you know, could be also described as fake it till you make it. But I, I actually mean made it in a different way. I'm I, I'm thinking that, you know, I think we think of confidence as being a feeling. Right, it's an emotion, it's an experience, it's a state of mind, something in somewhere in that in there. And so, you know, we can fake that feeling. But what if confidence were a set of behaviors that we can observe in the world? Right. So, any 
random person could walk into the room and go, oh yeah, Natalie's confident, right? Because we see you doing certain things and not doing other certain things. And so I think if we were to describe somebody who's extremely confident, we would all come up with relatively similar or overlapping things. Like if you imagine that, you know, 45 year shoe craftsman, you know, and you ask him like, could you, can you make a basic pair of shoes for me? You know, the confidence with which that person would respond, we, we could, you know, we could probably describe like the body language and the tone of voice and the, you know, all of that stuff that would be observable facts in the world, not like state of mind or feelings or, or anything like that. And so, you know, I guess we sort of think, and, and this is, I mean, without getting kind of too deep and philosophical here, I think this goes back to the kind of the mind-body dualism, like the Cartesian idea of the mind and body as being separate, that we, we, the confidence is something that happens in your, in your brain, in your heart, and the behavior is a separate thing that you do in the world. So you can fake confidence by behaving as if you are confident. Okay. But what if the behavior is the confidence, you know, and that the feeling is just irrelevant? You know, so what if you could be confident by acting confident? I like that. I like that because it's optimistic. And what that means is that anybody can do it. Even if you don't have that feeling, you can still have these behaviors. You can exhibit these behaviors and practice these behaviors of confidence yeah. until each time that you feel it in your heart. Yeah. Well, I think. I like that one because I think we'll, rather than saying fake it till you make it, it's like we'll just be confident, like behave confidently, and the feeling will catch up at some point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So have we, have we solved all of the confidence problems in the world now? No. We need to talk about what those behaviors actually look like. All right. Well, let's, let's make a bullet point list. Do you want to go first? Okay. Um, I'm going to go with my favorite tip, which is... If you are, this is for Pilates instructors out there. If you are saying something that's not a question, don't say it like it's a question. <laughs> so let me give you an, ex let me give you an example. So if Raf, I wanted the salt from you, um, I'd say, please hand me the salt as opposed to please hand me the salt. <laughs> you know, like it's, just a fact, like, please hand me the salt. Um, and I think oftentimes, this is especially true, I think, with, with, I hate to, I hate to pigeonhole people, but I see this a lot with women, um, where we're trying to be really warm and kind and friendly. So we take on voice tones and pitch that try to make us you know, seem really gentle and kind. And there, there's definitely a place for that. But there's also a place if you are the Pilates instructor, and you are the leader of the pack, to be able to act like one, right? So being able to have some confidence in the way that you speak and feeling sure about yourself. And when you can do that, you also reassure the people in your class that they're okay. And you know, like that you're not scared. Um, and you're not nervous. I think you hit two things there. One is being clear and definite in your statements, like state state your statements, don't ask them. And the second one was 
really being unapologetic. Like instead of saying just, or would you just do um, this or, um, or sorry, uh, but, you know, um, would you mind? Um, so all of these things I think do have a place. You know, sometimes it's the right thing to say sorry. Sometimes it's the right thing to <clears throat> to use uh, sort of ad you know adverbs. I think that, or I think that's an adverb, like just you know, um, etc. But I think those words make you seem less certain, less clear, less confident, less less. I think basically what they would call less alpha, you know, like I can't imagine, you know, any kind of high powered CEO, politician, president or whatever saying, oh, you know, just such and such or, you know, (laughs) like they, they make sort of clear definitive statements, don't they? Yeah. Well, and I like what you said about not apologizing. I was actually uh, observing some students teach the other day, and there was a point in the teaching where the instructor was, she was trying to create more challenge. So the reps were getting longer, and she was layering this exercise to make it more challenging. And she could she could see that her clients were becoming tired and they were really starting to struggle. And she actually said, sorry. And I, uh, my feedback to her was don't apologize. (laughs) Don't apologize. Exercises is uncomfortable and they're paying you to push them a little bit. So. And to lead them. And I think a better, a better uh, sort of phrase there would be, come on folks. I know this hurts right now. This is why you're here. This is the this is why you came, right? This is the hard, this is the good hard where you finish class and you'll be like, that was awesome. This is what makes it awesome. Keep going. You got it. You can do it. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So absolutely. Um I think uh, another one is decisiveness. Like when people kind of dither and sort of get halfway through and then change their mind and you know, that doesn't come across as as confident. Like, again, I think, I think about the 40, 45 year old bootmaker, you know, if you're like, okay, how should I black my boots? He's like, do it this way. Oh no, no, do it this other way. Uh, you know, so I, I can't imagine that person would respond like that. <laughs> uh, and so I think being decisive. Now I want to say like in, cause we're going to cover this in a, in a minute, I think, but like there, I think, you know, there are a lot of situations in life where it's appropriate not to appear confident. You know, like when you, when you're not, you know, when you're outside of your domain of expertise, for example, right. It's totally appropriate to be indecisive and, you know, to use sort of self deprecating statements and, you know, qualifying statements. Well, I don't really know what I'm talking about here, but my understanding is, this is that correct, right? I think that's a totally appropriate thing to say if you're outside of your wheelhouse. But when you're the leader of a Pilates session, like you're the leader, you know, right? And and people like to follow leaders who know what the heck they're doing. And and I think 
you know, one of the you know, first rules of leadership, I think, is is not it's is is to always you know, act like you know what you're doing, which is not the same thing as never taking advice or criticism or never changing your mind. But you know, if you if we're following somebody and they're taking us to a destination, if they don't seem to know what the fuck they're doing or where they're going, like if they're reading the map upside down, you know, <laughs> it's it's hard for us to feel confidence that we're going to get where we want to get to. And that's going to probably lead to us feeling like, well, why did, you know, why am I coming to this class? You know, this person doesn't even know where we're going. <laughs> so I think it is part of the job description of a Pilates instructor to appear confident. And we do know from the 2016, it's it's ancient now, but the PMA Pilates in America study, they surveyed like hundreds of Pilates clients and asked them, what do you look for in an instructor? And one of the things that the top three things the client said was experienced. And of course, Pilates clients don't know how experienced you are. Like clients never get to see your diploma or whatever that, you know, they don't know how long you've been teaching for. But I think that's a, that's a proxy for confidence. You know, people who are very experienced behave a certain way, you know, like you think about the airline pilots walking, you know, down the, the jet jet bridge, you know, they, they walk in a certain quietly confident way and you want them to, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think it is important to project confidence regardless of your internal experience when you're teaching Pilates. Would you agree or disagree? I agree with you. And I also think there's a place for, uh, what do I want to say? There's a little bit of nuance to it too. So as a Pilates teacher, there are some things that I think are no-brainers when it comes to confidence. Knowing the machines, right? So for instance, an example would be, let's say you're covering a class. Before you cover the class, please make sure you know how to move the foot bar and know what the spring settings mean. Uh, so that's, that's a no brainer to me. Know the machines that you're teaching on, know your program, but let's say in class, the client will say, will will ask, well, what muscle is this? I think there's room to confidently say, I don't know. Let me, let me figure that out and get back to you. Uh, yeah, great. That's a great point. So that was what I was trying to get at before, but very clumsily is that being confident is not the same thing as pretending you know things you don't know. And so I think, you know, back to our bullet point as we continue our bullet point list of, you know, what are the behaviors that, that signal confidence or that, that, that constitute confidence? You know, I think it's, you, you said it's making, you know, stating your statements, uh, you know, avoiding sort of self-deprecation, you know, belittling of your own kind of, of the consequence of your statements, et cetera. Words like, sorry, but just, you know, would you mind, et cetera. I think it, there's a big piece about being decisive. And once you decide, once you choose a course of action, just being clear and going, going that way. Uh, but it doesn't mean pretending you know things you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that goes on the list? Oh, just things like 
posture. So I was listening to a podcast about confidence. And one of the things that um, they talked about is the distance between your shoulders and your ears. And we talk about this in Pilates, like relax the shoulders, relax the shoulders. We do this to our clients where we ask them, well, if you're the instructor, make sure that the distance between your ears and your shoulders are maximized. So having a relaxed, open posture would be one thing. Um, if you have nervous tics, and, and to me, it's like for the people who know you really well, have them observe you and tell the, tell you honestly what your nervous tics are. You know, like if you tend to twirl your hair or if you're, you know, biting your fingernails in between cues, that sort of thing, just try to clean those things up. Or just film, film record yourself. That's the best way to notice your verbal tics. I mean, I, I still have verbal tics, but boy, they're apparent to me when I listen back to this podcast recording or whatever. So yeah, I think that's, that's a great way as well. So body language, right? So, you know, stand tall, chest out, shoulders back and down, all of those things I think do denote confidence. And there's also a certain, I guess, you know, relaxation like, uh, you know, physical uh, softness mm -hmm. about uh, about uh, that kind of is associated with confidence. Is there anything else? Uh, voice. So in terms of your voice, one of the things that I was uh, thinking about today is that when people are nervous, they tend to take in less air. And so your, your pitch becomes higher. Uh-huh your pace becomes faster and your voice just sounds a little bit like if you, if you can pay attention to what you sound like when you're nervous versus when you're not nervous, you know, like I think about, I think about some of the podcast episodes I had early on with you where I didn't know you very well and I wasn't part of breathe. And if I listen back to it, it's like, I can barely stand to hear myself because I can tell that I'm just really anxious where it's just like, after about the third time of being on the podcast, I'm like, Raf and I are pals. Like, is this just a conversation that happens to be recorded and I'm just having a good time and I can tell in my own voice. So I think some of the things in terms of voice, using your voice as a signal of confidence would be things like, slowing down and taking pauses. So this is something I actually talk to our students about when I notice that they're nervous. The first is trying to take in more breaths and actually trying to be a little bit louder and slower than what you think is normal. Because if you are a really fast talker and you're taking in these little sips of fast breath, you can tell. And so part of it is just like trying to get your nervous system to calm down a little bit by breathing in taking pauses. So um, what I tell our students is, imagine that every cue you give to your clients is a spoonful full of baby food to a baby. Make sure they chew and swallow first before you give them another cue. So part of calming down. I love that. It's, and I can't help thinking like, cause I've got a metaphor for that, but it's a thing based metaphor. And I think, oh, you're a woman. You've come up with this like human centric, empathic sort of metaphor there, feeding a baby. And I've come up with this computer based <laughs> metaphor, but it, it's kind of the same thing. Like, I think when you are teaching in an in person group of people, Pilates, 
you do need to speak more slowly and leave longer gaps in between each sentence, each idea, each cue. And I think that is something that experienced instructors have learned to do by teaching hundreds and thousands of classes. Because when you say, okay, everybody lie down on your back, feet on the foot bar, then you need to leave a few seconds for people to figure out what the heck you just said and to do it. And then you say, good job. Okay, now grab your straps from on the shoulder pads. Uh, and, you know, when you do that, one, you'll get a, you'll, people actually be able to follow you more easily. But two, you appear more confident because you're, you're doing it in a way that actually works better and is just runs the place smoother, more smoothly. Yeah. What, what's your computer analogy? Uh, it's just like, you know, when you put in some data, like when you press a button in an app or something, you want it to, you know, go to the next page or upload a thing. Sometimes you just have to wait for the little wheel to spin for a moment, you know, <laughs> before you can do the next action. You know, if you just keep pressing the mouse again and again and again, it doesn't go faster. Often it just freezes it. I like it. I like, I, I'm picturing that in my mind. I can totally, I can, that resonates with me. <laughs> uh, I like it. Um, I'm trying, I'm looking at my list here to see if there's anything else. I think the only thing on my list, the, the last thing on my list is actually be proud of your product, right? Your program, be proud of it. Go into class being excited to give people this experience. Cause if you are not sure of your product and you know, it's just like, uh, I made these cookies. Do, do you want one? As opposed to you are for a treat, everybody. I made these cookies. You're so lucky today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like when someone, uh, I'm not saying this is my wife, but when someone cooks you something and they say, oh, I made your favorite dish. And you're like, ooh. And then they say, I don't think I did a very good job, but I'm not sure if you're going to like it. You're like, oh, you know, it's like, it's, it, it, it reduces the enjoyment of the person you're sharing that with if you don't if you don't share share their excitement for the for the thing you're about to share with them and i think it definitely comes across as less confident huh that's really interesting do you know in my house so um when i was when my kids were little they could only tell me they they only had a choice between two pieces of feedback anytime i made food they could only say one or the other Every time I made a meal, they could either say, this is delicious or thank you for this meal. That's it. <laughs> uh, um, something I'd like to talk about, I'm not, I'm not sure if this was on your list or not. It's not actually behavior of confidence, but it, to me, I think it's, it's something that's very, it's kind of a, a hack that can get you to all of the behaviors of confidence, right? So rather than thinking like, okay, chest up, breathe deep, speak slow, you know, be decisive, don't use just, you know, but state my statements. Rather than thinking like trying to remember that checklist of things, if you can get yourself in a frame of mind where you actually experience confidence, like all of those things just bam, 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 the dominoes fall into place, right? And it's called the frame of the veteran. And I didn't make it up, but it's, it's, it might be from Stoic philosophy or something, but, but basically what it says is we feel anxiety, which in my view is pretty much diametrically the opposite of confidence. It's, you know, it's, it's fear of failure, right? It's, it's worry about 
not things not going the way we want in in the future. And if you think about, you know, you're about to teach this Pilates class, okay, and you're feeling, you know, you're feeling stressed about it. You're not feeling confident. Well, imagine if you taught literally the same class, like the exact same exercises in the same order to the same group of people, like three times a day for the next five years, right? And imagine you're coming back to teach this for the whatever it is, you know, 5,000th time now, right? And you're like bored out of your brain, right? You literally know the whole entire class verbatim, like word for word for word. It's just, you press one button in your brain and the whole class just comes out because as you've just done it so many times, like you'd be yawning, right? It would be basically impossible for you to be anxious in that situation. Very, very easy for you to be, to feel calm and relaxed and, energized and all of those things. And it's like, all right, well, if you can feel that after doing it 5,000 times, why can't you just feel that now? You know, why not just have that? Why not just have the frame of the veteran? Like, why would I, you know, why do you have to make your, why do you make it a condition that you have to teach that class 5,000 times before you allow yourself to experience that sense of confidence? You know, why not just experience it right now? I like that. I really like that. I I think it's, for me, I think that's easier said than done, but I like it. Well, I think, you know, like you can, I apply this to lots of things in life where I basically have to do something that I'm nervous about or I'm, I'm not looking forward to because it's the first time or second time or third time I've done it as kind of a big thing. Like if I have to have an awkward conversation with someone or, you know, something, um, but I've noticed that like there are certain awkward conversations I've had with people that I've just had to have them so many times over the years with various people, that same conversation, whether it's like a performance conversation or money conversation or whatever it might be. It's like, by the time you've done it 20 or 30 times, it's like, it, it holds no fear anymore. Cause it's like, well, I've done this 30 times, went fine the first 29 times. So it's, yeah, it'll be fine <laughs> this time. And, and so I, I do find that if I consciously stop, I can actually just project myself into that future state because I know what it feels like to have done a thing, like any something, right? You know, whatever that thing is, tied up my shoes or whatever. I know what it feels like to have done a thing a bunch of times and to just be like totally cool with doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I can kind of just fast forward myself into that, you know, into that mindset. Well, that's a really good, um, that's a good plug for something that we talked about many times before, which is just teach the same program all the time. <laughs> yeah. Teach the same damn program. <laughs> Don't change your program. Teach the same program all the time. So you get so good at it that it's like nothing for you and you can focus on all kinds of other things like the people in front of you. And I think that is, yeah, I think this is a great, uh, this is a great frame as well that confidence is really an inevitable consequence of doing thousands of reps. Right. If you've made 20,000 pairs of boots, it's like you can't not be confident about making boots. It's like just not possible. If you've taught 20,000 Pilates classes, like you can't not be confident, you know. And so the more reps you do, the more confidence you will experience. And 
so I would say that the, the feeling comes after the action, you know, like you don't, it's sort of like, like you said, it's like the person who doesn't want to start Pilates until they get fit, you know, (laughs) it's the opposite. You, you, you have to get fit. You have to start Pilates before you get fit. That's, that's the only way it works. Yeah. And it's the same confidence. I think you have to do the behavior before you feel the feeling. You just have to do the reps. That's a perfect segue for the thing I wanted to share with you. I, I actually made a picture. I'm showing Raph this picture. It's called the self-confidence cycle. And I learned this from a person on Instagram. His name is Will Elliott. He's a teen and par- parenting coach. I actually put his little reel about the self-confidence cycle on my stories the other day. It's, it's disappeared at this point. But I loved it so much because at the top of the, it's, it's this cycle here. And at the top, at the top of the cycle, it starts with action. So you have to take action. You have to. You've got to start. You've never taught Pilates before, but you want to teach Pilates. Guess what needs to happen? You got to fucking teach Pilates. So you take an action and then, then that action improves your competence. And then your competence fuels self-belief, self-efficacy. And that self-efficacy and self-belief boosts your confidence. And then that confidence motivates you to take more action. And it's this virtuous cycle, but it always starts with taking action and remembering that you're probably going to be bad at something until you're good at it. So (laughs) you just have to take action until, I mean, we talked about this last week when you were telling me about how you learn how to draw anatomy, right? It's like, I think you're so confident at it. Like I've watched you do it in real time and I'm just like, oh my God, that's amazing. I could never do that. And you know, like the secret is there's no secret. You just got to do it. I don't view failure partly because I've done it a bazillion times and partly because I don't care if it doesn't look beautiful. You know, (laughs) I know it doesn't look beautiful. I don't care. So I think it's both of those operational definitions that we started with. The the thing I'd like to just pick out about that, that cycle, confidence cycle, is I think what people underestimate when they think of that is the sheer number of reps you need to do to build that confidence. They're like, oh, I taught a class. I don't feel any more confidence. Like, yeah, did you teach freaking 5,000 classes? You know, go do another 4,999, then come back and tell me you're not confident. It's like, you won't be able to. So I think it's, yeah, it's like you have, it's a cycle once around the racetrack isn't the end of the race, you know, like it's, it's a marathon and you just have to, you outwork your lack of confidence, basically. Like you stack up, you know, undeniable mountains of proof that you can do the thing by doing the thing mountains of times, you know, mm-hmm. either 40 year, five year bootmaker, you know, who just couldn't, couldn't truthfully say, I'm not confident to make a pair of boots. Like it's just, you couldn't do it. No, it's true. Teach the same program 500 times. Yeah. Or 5,000. <laughs> there you go. Uh, is, there any, is there anything else we want to talk about about this? Or are we done? I think, I think we're done. I think maybe the last thing I'd like to say is that, you know, even if you're not a new teacher, and this is something that I'm working on myself, and I heard you say, Raf, that you're working on this as well. Even experienced teachers can learn about how to boost your own level of confidence or the, or how people perceive you. Right. So I've taught many, many years. I'm not scared of that, but I could work on things like 
How is my posture doing? Am I making eye contact? Is my volume good enough? You know, am I phrasing things in ways that sound authoritative? Um, you know, so there's, I think there's always something to work on. And I just feel so strongly about this part because I think oftentimes it's like what you said with that PMA survey, which is that your clients feel a sense of security and they feel a sense of security and confidence in you because you're confident. It's It, it really isn't about experience because the truth of the matter is you and I both probably know exper- people with experience that aren't very confident. So I just think that there's there's always a little nugget to take away from all of this talk. All right. So, well, actually, you've you've opened up the the Pandora's box a little bit there, a crack. And so I want to I want to dive into that. And the thing I want to dive into is like, well, we've just been saying that if you do enough reps, you can't not be confident. But then you just said, well, there's a bunch of people out there who have experience who are not confident. And I agree, right? So what's the difference that makes the difference there? How can you? How can some people manage to do? thousands of reps of teaching a class and still not be confident at the end of it? Well, I think it boils down to what others perceive you, right? So maybe I do feel confident, but I'm not aware that I'm crossing my arms when I talk. Uh, So it's kind of like the resting bitch face situation. You're not actually in a bad mood, right? right? It just looks like it. Right. Well, one of the things that I really struggled with, because I'm really, I am fascinated by body language and nonverbal cues. It's just something that I just find so fascinating, having studied in psychology and wanting to have worked for, you know, the CIA. So they, they tell you all these like crazy secrets about human behavior. But I remember the thing that I really struggled with is I like to cross my arms because I'm cold all the time. And it just makes me feel warmer. But I also realize that it, I come across as not being confident when really what I am is I'm cold. Yeah. And so these are the kinds of things that I, that keep me up at night. It's just like, how can I be warm, but also not cross my arms? I've got an easy solution for that thermal underwear. <laughs> okay. <sighs> this is, this has been a, this has been a fun chat. Thanks. Thank you after two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily i've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the clinical exercise specialist rehabilitation inside the program i'll teach you to do three things one deeply understand how the body works two confidently and expertly rehab literally any client and three get results for your clients so ultimately your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area this program is completely unlike any education you've done before even if you've studied with us before because of the way we've built the learning design it's an online flexible skill-based learning program which means You keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So 
rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.